0: What causes certain ideas to rise to the top and get funded? Ivy hosted a live conversation to find out from Indiegogo co-founder Slava Rubin. As the world's first crowdfunding platform, Indiegogo revolutionized the way innovations come to market. In this episode of the Ivy Podcast, Rubin reflects on the lessons he learned along the way and provides advice for entrepreneurs to break through the noise, raise money, and find long-term success for projects of any size. This episode is brought to you by Emerge 212 Office Space Elevated. New York City's premier operator full-service office suites. Emerge 212's fully furnished offices are sleek, sophisticated, and high-tech. Perfect for seasoned entrepreneurs who want to put their best foot forward, companies seeking to launch a New York City team, or businesses looking to secure an address in the city with virtual office capabilities. With locations near Grand Central, Rockefeller Plaza, and Columbus Circle, Emerge 212 enables companies to elevate their meeting and business experience through high-end customized spaces, so your business can focus on operating, not operations. To begin working out of Manhattan's premier office space or to reserve a conference room for an upcoming event, visit Emerge212.com. Mention Ivy and you'll receive two months of complimentary rent on a 13 month lease.
1: I want to start with really getting the kind of backstory in your journey. What got you uh, to start Indiegogo? What was the thing like growing up that actually led you to start a company like this?
2: Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me. So I was born in Belarus and uh, came over to America when I was a little kid, and then uh, we moved from Brooklyn to Pennsylvania. Then uh, I was in high school and my dad got cancer. My dad died three years after that, and for a decade I wasn't able to really discuss it. So uh, for one New Year's resolution, which I always try to follow through on my New Year's resolutions, I decided that I need to finally talk about it. So I I decided to start a charity event and uh, we raised money uh, by throwing a concert in New York City. And it was pretty cool, it was in 2005, and uh, MySpace was bigger than Facebook, and PayPal, that was that was the time. <laughs> and uh, MySpace, uh, you know, was a place where people would share information about new events. PayPal was being used, but I wouldn't call it the norm. Email was interesting, but still kind of like simple. And uh, I, was, I thought I was pretty fancy. I was a strategy consultant. I was pretty high tech. I uh, you know, uh, got a fancy degree from an Ivy League school. And uh, I thought I was pretty smart, but it was, uh, it was hard to raise a lot of money. Uh, it was challenging. It was still about kind of just like, who do you know and kind of saying, hey, do you want to come to my event? And I really wasn't getting the scale out of it. And uh, my friend who I was in, uh, worked together, he went to go to business school. He met uh, our co-founder and, you know, I had never been to California, actually, and uh, I was single at the time. And uh, he just started business school and he said, hey, you should come out here. It's California. There's cute girls. And, <laughs> and I said, sure, sounds good. So I went over and, uh, you know, I had already been uh, working as a strategy consultant for several years and I just felt like this charity event just said to me, like, you know, just the models and bottles lifestyle is cool, but I kind of like over it. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with myself. And while I was having dinner with uh, this woman, Danae, and then Eric, we just had this discussion where Danae said, I have an idea where I want to create a mutual fund where the people that invest in the mutual fund get to decide how the mutual fund is invested. I said, That's cool. And Eric's like, Yeah, what do you think? I said, That's cool, but if you wanna change the finance industry, you can't do it in the finance industry. And she said, she was an investment banker until she came to business school. And she said, no, no, I wanna start a mutual fund where the people that invest in the mutual fund get to vote on where the mutual fund gets invested. I, was like, I heard you. But if you wanna change the finance industry, you can't do it in the finance industry. She's like, no, I wanna do, it. I'm like, I got it, I got it. And then she looks at Eric, and this is only a month that she knows Eric, and Eric knows me now for six years, and she said, I don't think he understands. And I said, now you gotta appreciate this, try to ask yourself in your mind, and you're obviously maybe a little younger based on the demographic of this audience, but think about where you were in 2006, okay? It's a little while ago. And I say to her, have you heard of YouTube? Now imagine, it's not owned by Google yet, right? She says, no, I have not. Probably many of you have not heard of YouTube at the time. And she says, no, I have not. And I said, okay, have you heard of Prosper? She's like, no, I don't know what Prosper is either. So I show her YouTube and I show her a video. She's like, this is amazing. And it was just like a random video about a sports uh, highlight. She's like, this is amazing. How did this video get here? I said, somebody put it up here. So well, how did you find out about it? I'm like, well, other people shared it. Why did they share it? Because they liked it. How did they find out about it? The person who put it up shared it with those people and then they shared it. Well, how did you find out because you don't know the person who started it or the people who shared it? Well, YouTube then decided that according to the algorithms, this is interesting, so they just put it up to your discovery. It's like, that's cool. I'm like, you want YouTube for money. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. So uh, that's how we started Indiegogo.
1: (laughs) So there's so many ideas out there. Your journey obviously shaped very much what this idea was. But at a deeper philosophical level, like what actually gets certain ideas to actually rise to the top and actually get funded? You've seen thousands of them uh, happen through Indiegogo, your own one flourished.
2: You know, from a simple perspective, we just uh, literally did turn 10 years old. So in internet time, we're uh, beyond geriatric. (laughs) Um, And uh, you know, the classic things that we've seen is you wanna have Uh, An interesting pitch, you wanna get off to a good start and you wanna make sure that you keep your audience engaged. Um, You can talk about that as Indiegogo and there's the whole uh, psychological and and kind of studies of how this all works, but you could also just think about it in life. Uh, You need to be able to present yourself well at first because people don't give you a lot of time uh, to be able to decide if they like you or not. So you need to have your video get right to the point, you need your copy to be sharp, you need to be very clear with your message. Um, The second thing is you need to get off to a fast start. See, it's interesting, if I said to you, hey, I'm trying to raise some money, Uh, I'm trying to raise $1,000, will you give me a dollar? And you say, well, how much do you have? And you say, I have zero. It's a little different of a message than you say, I'm trying to raise some money, trying to raise $1,000, I already have 700. Just sounds different, right? And it's the same thing on Indiegogo. The data shows that the faster you get, to your first 25%, the more likely you are to hit your target. So if you hit 25% within your first five days, you're like 85% likely to hit your target. This is actually Indiegogo data, but it's kind of true for life. Uh, and then the other thing is, you need to keep the content fresh. So some people think that you launch a campaign on Indiegogo, you just sit on your hands, and hopefully the money comes in. But you know that's not how a presidential campaign works, that's not how any campaign works. It's a constant drumbeat of messages and updates and trying to keep it interesting, so that's a, a super simplification of of how to uh, of how to raise money. That's kind of Indiegogo story, but it's really any fundraising out there.
1: Just to go a bit deeper, so ultimately, though, with Indiegogo until the recent equity funding and so forth, it wasn't just about you know funding something to make money. It was about also supporting things. So what, what is it about human nature? So you want this like, the gift, the extra by backing something early, but there's also something else that really wants people, makes people wanna support things. What is that?
2: Well, it's interesting. Um, if you go back to the original story that I told you, we actually wanted to be able to have the democratization of investment. So you didn't have to go to a VC or a banker and they get to be the gatekeeper of money. We wanted the crowd to be able to decide what actually gets invested. Now the problem is you get the Securities Act in 1933, which then stops any public solicitation or common people being able to invest in things without a thing called an IPO, which is when the SEC gets created in 1933. Uh, we actually wanted to go right away into investing, and it's only because we didn't have you know, enough time, money, or you know, willpower to wanna to break through all the lobbyists and the laws going back to 1933 that we said, hey, maybe there's a way to go around the law and just do this perks-based model where you don't actually get equity in return, you just get like a pre-order of a thing. And even that, we required some like legal feedback of whether or not that would be called a security, even if it was a pre-order of a CD. Um, So it was interesting. Our goal was always to do equity crowdfunding. Uh, Then in 2008, we launched. In 2012, we actually were able to change uh, the law with something called the JOBS Act. That was something that President Obama signed. Uh, We worked to create that law, the entire bill with Congress. We had our customer on stage with President Obama. Um, and then it took four years between 2012 and 2016 before equity crowdfunding actually became a live concept in uh, in America. Um, but going back to your original question, um, you know, people wanna give money for many different reasons. Some people want stuff. Most of you pay for the shoes that you're wearing, and that's what we call perks. So you get to buy interesting stuff on Indiegogo before anybody else could in the world. Uh, some people like to participate. They like to be part of a community. Um, and sometimes people just like to give. So they like to, uh, you know, donate or be part of a cause. So they know the person or the cause. So there's lots of reasons. And the cool thing about Indiegogo is kind of like art or poetry. Different people look at it, the same exact campaign and they interpret it differently. So some people see this coffee campaign. They're like, Oh, I want free coffee for a year. I'll fund it for 20 bucks. Some people know Jennifer, who's trying to open the coffee shop. Some people are like, Oh, I live in Brooklyn. I want a coffee shop in my neighborhood. So like everybody has different intention for the exact same concept, which makes it pretty interesting.
1: That's awesome, I I think, um, you know, when I think uh, early on in our uh, journey with Ivy, uh, there was a lot of people, a lot of people have lots of ideas, right? And some people like to kind of like not share it in case somebody copies, Uh, but we've been, you know, since the beginning just sharing it with everyone, actually the first people to believe in us and back us were the like, People would have never necessarily expected. And I guess what Indiegogo did is amplify that by like orders of magnitude so that people could share their story with mm-hmm. millions around the world. So it's incredible uh, what you built and all the effect of that across so many people. So congrats on that. And uh, what I want to now focus on is all right, so you have an idea and you get it funded, right? And that's actually, you know. Where it really begins, and it's so incredibly difficult to actually make something work. So, so many projects get funded, but how many actually ultimately succeed? So, Indiegogo is a great example of a company that has, you know, thrived over a long time. So, I know it's been 10 years, so it's hard to put it in a nutshell. But when it comes to like key lessons you've learned in entrepreneurship, and what enables startups to succeed, and as an entrepreneurial leader, what enabled you to succeed? What would you say were like the two, three key factors.
2: Um, I think that uh, entrepreneurship is a lot about persistence. about It's about knowing that there's a need in the world, um, there's air, and you wanna fill it with some sort of reality. If that reality has already been filled, you're not necessary. Um, you need to be passionate because it's a roller coaster and the pay will not support your willingness to navigate those bumps. The fame, the pay, the, the, uh, the results that you'll get in the near mid, near, mid, even potentially long-term will never be as good as the pain. And it's kind of like our child, I would say. It takes a while before you get benefits from having a family. It's mostly input. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that was a joke, but I have a two-year-old, so I can speak from experience. <laughs> um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, you need to be passionate. Um, And I think you think big, you start small, you iterate quickly, you focus on the customer, you focus on the product, you focus on delivering something that people actually want. And uh, before you know it, you take one step at a time and you ran a marathon. What tends to be daunting for a lot of entrepreneurs or people are not willing to be entrepreneurs and not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur is they see a marathon and they just think 26.2 miles. They don't understand that it's not possible to do that unless you take one step at a time. And each step is difficult, um, and you always learn new things, and you just keep on iterating and evolving. Next thing you know, you're 10 years old and on stage.
1: Right. (laughs) Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Can you, you mentioned about, you know, there's a lot of pain, right? There's a lot of, it's a roller coaster, there's lots of ups and downs. Specifically, the ups are, you know, they're great while they last, but the downs, the things that you feel are are kind of like, the near-death experiences, the stuff that really makes you concerned, how did you find yourself dealing with those situations um, over time, like, did you create a sense of, like a mentality that really helps you navigate that? I mean, I don't know what running Ivy is like, but I didn't have any near-death
2: experiences, Um, (laughs) but. I mean, I wanna find those experiences, though. Maybe I should go to Antarctica, it sounds like. (laughs) Um, I think that um, it goes back to what I was saying, which is you need to be passionate about what you're doing. It doesn't even matter if you're an entrepreneur. See, uh, if you wake up and you're not happy with what you're doing in your day, you're kinda just wasting your time because, you sleep a lot, hopefully, or somewhat, and you like, eat and whatever the other things that are required. And then there's this thing which is like you're probably having to get paid somehow. I mean, there's probably some trust fund people, but you still need to get paid somehow. So if you're gonna to try to figure out how to like, make money, you should at least try to line that up with some sort of happiness. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're probably not happy with it. And if you do find that it's magical, and I highly recommend, and it doesn't ma- mean that you need to like, whatever, like save puppies or anything. It just means that like, you are passionate about something, right? There's things that you care about. It could be many things. Um, and if you align what you're passionate about with your, let's call it your vocation or your job or your entrepreneurial endeavor, it's really powerful as how it'll improve your day to day life. So that's addictive in itself. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur is crazy because you'll like be elated, and then be be ready to cry. You know, maybe not deaf, but like be ready to cry, probably within like the same ten minutes, and that'll happen like ten times a day. I mean, that's what it's like in the early days. Um, for what it's worth, it might seem like I'm somewhat of a success now. I got rejected by ninety-three VCs in a row to start off. I paid to work at Indiegogo. For three years, meaning not I didn't get paid. I paid to work at Indiegogo for three years. I mean, it takes like a, like basically a full-on fool to do that, or just somebody who is just passionate. And uh, the way I look at it, there's no losing. The reason there's no losing is because I either get a positive result, which in general it has been a positive result in the long run, or you just learn a lot. You often do not learn a lot through things that do not have some sort of conflict, pain, or struggle. Things that come easy tend to not have you grow. So in my opinion, let's say I did totally fail in the concept of how America typically thinks about it, like bad, I don't look at failure as bad, I actually would like to start failure school. I think these concepts are very educational, and uh, the way our youth have been raised, and even how we are, we think if we fail, it's like something not to tell somebody about. On the opposite, it's like, oh yeah, I got I got mad skills, I got scars, I got I know what's up, and I can move on and then do things better.
1: On that point, um, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, and I thought I knew what entrepreneurship was. Um, I studied business; I thought maybe I know a bit more. Um, and then I started Ivy, and I realized, wow, like I. I actually had no idea what it actually involves. And actually every year of the journey as it evolves, as things scale and so forth, there's just so much to learn. Um, so what would you say is like the best way to like learn about entrepreneurship before you dive into it, given how much of it actually you learn on the go? What can you do ahead of time to prepare? I mean, the
2: short answer is uh, entrepreneurship is doing stuff. It's not about reading or listening to me. It's doing stuff and seeing what the results and the reactions are. Um, My point of view on that is I think that as children, you know, when we are, and I see this even my own son, but when we are zero, one, two, three, four, five, you know, you probably can go on even a little more, um, anything is possible. See, there's no such thing as good or bad or failure. It's like creativity, anything, you can do anything. And if like you came up with a concept that somebody else didn't agree with, it's like too bad, well, I came up with that fake animal in my closet, I don't care what you have to say. <laughs> right? And when you're playing with the Legos, there's the, uh, the cop car Lego person, I'm sorry, the cop Lego person and the doctor and the lawyer and the judge and whatever. There's no entrepreneur Lego person. That person doesn't exist. And then, uh, you know, we go to school And then we slowly start to learn that there's like a good score and there's a bad score. And the good score is better than the bad score. So we gravitate towards getting good scores, because then we get cookies. And getting cookies make us feel good. And when we don't get cookies, it's like, oh, we don't want that feeling. So we're trained to be afraid of failure. And then we go through life, and then we go to high school and college. And it's like, okay, I'll become one of the normal jobs that anybody else can be, right? Great, because that's all that I'm able to do. Now let's just retract for a second. You all can probably read the New York Times, I'm guessing. The reason you can read the New York Times is not because you're Shakespeare, right? But you happen to learn the alphabet, you happen to learn words and sentences, and then paragraphs, and then how to write an essay, read a book, all great. You did the same thing with math. Yet no one expected you to become Shakespeare. If you did, cool, but no one expected it. No one expected you to become Einstein with math, but if you did, cool. Yet no one trains anybody in our youth to actually practice entrepreneurship. See, you can read the newspaper because you practiced for 20 years. Instead, we ask people to become entrepreneurs not only by now practicing, by having absolutely no knowledge of anything. And as Reid Hoffman likes to say, the founder of LinkedIn, it's like jumping off a cliff and having to build a parachute on the way down. I mean, it's just not fair in terms of how we set up our youth for being able to be entrepreneurial. To me, entrepreneurial does not mean anybody here needs to actually start the next Indiegogo. That is irrelevant to me. We all need to be decision makers, navigate failure, be creative, understand that navigating life is not in a form, but anything is possible. We kind of lose that in our youth, in my opinion, for many of us. And I think it's really important to try our change.
1: I was gonna say, so you mentioned already, Jobs Act, yeah. Equity Crowdfunding, these were new developments, and then obviously, now not a few minutes go by without someone mentioning crypto something, blockchain something. So what are the latest trends in the market? Um, Also, your role and what you've been focused on has been evolving a lot too. What's top of mind for you in terms of the future of funding, getting projects off the ground?
2: Yeah, so uh, Indiegogo's now 10 years old and I've been CEO for a majority of that time. A couple years ago, well, three years ago, I uh, saw kind of the evolution of how the market was going. I felt like we did a pretty good job of having the foundation of the market in terms of the entrepreneur side and the backer side. And I really wanted to start moving on to some of my next steps of innovation. I had always a grand plan. It wasn't about crowdfunding uh, by itself. And I tried to have that happen through some of my coworkers and it wasn't going as well as I wanted it to. So I decided to put my COO in as CEO and then I became basically the entrepreneur again. And I started five new businesses inside of Indiegogo. So one of those, for example, is really simple, a marketplace. So now you could actually do shopping on Indiegogo and get stuff within 48 hours guaranteed or your money back. A lot of these things are all being sourced uh, from Indiegogo. We also now do equity crowdfunding where people are investing uh, and they're getting rev share or equity in return because we were able to change the JOBS Act. We now do enterprise crowdfunding. So we work with the largest Fortune 500 companies in the world. We help them to validate and launch their products. We've done that with really cool companies like uh, whether it's like GE or Sony or Harman or Procter & Gamble. Um, and then the most interesting new thing is I just launched our ICO uh, marketplace. So initial coin offerings, all things crypto and blockchain. Um, before you ask why that to me, crypto and blockchain is just the latest technology associated uh, with you know democratizing access to capital. So it used to be YouTube, now it's blockchain. It's all one and the same. We still have the same issue, which is the world needs more access to capital. Indiegogo just uses the latest techniques. Okay,
1: if you fast forward, yeah. Um, so technologies come and go, and it sounds like you're really staying on top of it. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, in the like kind of the most futuristic version of the world you can imagine. What will getting funded for an idea look like as like compared to today? Well, in the most futuristic the
2: version of the world yeah. I can imagine, <laughs> we probably don't need to figure out how to get funded.
1: Okay, the but, step, the one step before that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one step before that. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. I think you're just seeing more uh, decentralization of power. I think the uh, the 1900s especially ever since you get like uh standard oiler standard oil and then taylorism and then kind of the concept of Walmart becoming the large uh cookie cutter scale and standardization I think that that book that chapter has been written for about 100 years especially since taylorism and I think the next chapter is very different uh I think it's much more about decentralization much more about personalization I think it's much more about global, much more about uh, uh, connectedness, so you don't need actually that structured, center, standard, you know, scale, and I think that uh, without trying to turn negative, I think, for example, like ISIS, terrorism, is that, right? It's the cutting edge of, you know, let's call it war, and um, you can see the same things happening in business where it's evolving that way.
1: Okay. And specifically on blockchain, uh, because yep. you mentioned it, and that's like one of the key initiatives. from your perspective, we've all read lots about it. But you know what do you think is like the big potential there since it's the most current topic?
2: You know blockchain is a huge concept right now, so it's hard to probably cover it in two minutes. But um, blockchain is basically the same thing as the internet, but different uh, twenty years ago. Um, so 20 years ago, you have the internet comes out, 1996, 97, whatever, and you have these companies that people start talking about, like Netscape, and people are like, oh, the internet's going to change everything, but no one can buy the internet. You don't really buy the internet, and no one knows what's going to happen on the internet because it's all about applications related to the internet. Then Netscape comes out, and everybody's like, ooh, okay, so browser, this is like the portal to the internet, like a black hole. This is where all the money is going to be made, right here. So Netscape IPOs, it has some volatility for a few years and, you know, they eventually sell for like a billion dollars. Uh, but it, Netscape is like meaningless compared to the internet and all the results, right? Because the internet becomes like YouTube and Amazon and Facebook and every other company, you know. But no one saw that because they didn't actually see it yet. And blockchain is the same thing. It's not a communication method. It's just a different architecture. I'm not really going to get into the technical details of it. But, um, It's all the applications that will be built on top of blockchain. And, you know, 20 years later, so you could say in the short term, oh, there was like a big crash in 99, 2000, 2001. So obviously the internet wasn't all it was hyped up to be. It wasn't what it was hyped up to be in that year because, you know, people just hyped up money and then lost money because it's just traders. Doesn't mean it wasn't what it was hyped up to be 20 years later, which is today. Clearly, the internet's a pretty big deal. Uh, So blockchain is like the same thing. There's going to be a lot of hype. Some people will make a bunch of money in the next five years. Some people will lose a bunch of money, but 20 years from now, you know, our world will change as to how we interact with all of our different uh, companies or applications or the things we deal with. So I'll just give you like a tiny little example, and this is super simple, but, um, you know, people get excited about uh, autonomous vehicles. Right? It's like Uber's cool, Lyft is cool, whatever, but like it will even be cooler when it's just like cars running around, right? And we won't have to worry about, you know, whether or not, anyway, point is it'll be good, right? And I think that's great, and you'll have AI, and that'll help everything, but you're still going to have traffic, right? You're still going to have congestion, cars will still need to deal with each other. Now imagine a world of autonomous vehicles on top of a layer of AI on top of blockchain, which... We don't need to again talk about the architecture at all. But with blockchain, what you'll be able to do is just say, I'm in the Upper West Side right now. I need to go to Brooklyn. I just got out of the event, and it says on Google or whatever, it says it'll take 29 minutes. But I need to get there in 11 minutes. But that's not possible because traffic. But see, in a world of blockchain, you'll just have an opportunity to put it into your app to say, I want to go in 11 minutes, and it'll tell you how much that will cost because then all the cars will trade with each other and there'll be no such a thing as traffic. Oh. Mind blown. There you go. That was, I mean, that's actually a really, for where it's worth, very simple concept that is not hard to like, from a perspective of the, like. let's call it, what is possible, that is not hard to make possible. It, it is hard from the perspective of you need to have the right company to do the applications, and you need to get liquidity. People need to use this, and they need to trust it, and all that. But what I just explained is not hard. It just requires moving forward to have it happen. It's just like you know, 20 years ago, somebody said, like, oh, you're going to want ice cream. You're going to be on your couch. You're not going to want to get up. You'll pick up your phone. You'll like, press a button. Ice cream will show up in 20 minutes. I mean, it is kind of crazy that that happens today, right? I mean, I tell that to my mother today. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) 20 years ago, we were talking about that when we talked about the internet, right? We'd be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, right? So, I mean, it's, how should I say this? It's obvious. Like, this is totally what's going to happen. It's where the puck is going. It's just a matter of, like, the way people's minds work is, the short term, meaning the one to three years, never makes the advancements as fast as people think it's going to happen. See, like I thought this was all going to happen, and then one year later, see, like nothing's happened. Same old, same old. But the 20 years is magnitudes faster than people's brain can even fathom. So you just got to like put that in perspective.
1: Just very quickly, specifically to raising funds. Yeah. Like, and also for entrepreneurial opportunities, like what do you see the, what should people keep in mind for the present day and as they think about blockchain? Should it influence how they look to fund their projects already? What do you think?
2: I mean, it's a little early for, let's call it, the common person to be exploring it, but that said, it's very innovative, it's very interesting. I think there's more options than ever for entrepreneurs. You obviously can max out your credit cards, you can ask your friend and family for money, you can raise money on Indiegogo, you can get, you know, uh, peer-to-peer lending, you can go to VCs, you go to banks, you can now do crypto raises. Uh, you should just explore your options, see what it is that you're trying to raise. Like right now, if you have a pizza shop, like can you do a crypto coin and let's call it pizza coin? You can do that. It's probably a waste of time for the moment. Is that where this might be going? Like in a little while from now? It probably will. Um, but right now, just the cost for that is silly and it's just not worth it. So you just navigate your options and you pick what's best.
1: From a personal perspective, what do you have like one uh, kind of routine or kind of a life hack that you'd want to share with everyone that helped you be more productive or get the most out of life?
2: Um, I mean, I don't know if I have one, but I, uh, I tend to be pretty positive. Um, I try not to be, you know, surrounded by much negative energy. Um, it doesn't help. I... Um, my wife keeps Shabbat, so I try to uh, you know follow as much as possible. But I like looking at my phone every now and then. Um, I love doing a monthly schwitz. Schwitz is like a sweat for all you don't know Yiddish. And so if you go to like Russian and Turkish baths, that's cool. I like doing that once a month. I have a concept which is like a, um, like a nine to nine policy, which is from nine in the morning to nine p.m. I tend not to use a computer now. I'm not calling my cell phone a computer uh, because I believe that uh, during normal hours, uh, you should do all things with people. That's where you get the best result. I'm talking about like from a leading a company sort of thing, but I think for anybody really. So, um, So I work with my employees, my customers, the press, media partners. I think like looking at an Excel spreadsheet or a PowerPoint or something of that nature is just poor use of time um, compared to people interaction time, that's just my opinion. So um, that's some of the things I do.
1: Okay. And um, the State of the Union is on top of mind. Uh, the what? State of the Union. Oh yeah, top that? of mind. Totally. Yeah. Totally top of mind. So uh, totally top of mind. Is that today? My last question. <laughs> so if you were, if you
2: were, is that uh, going to impact my Netflix stock? That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> because Netflix is crushing it.
1: <laughs> if you were president, what would be like your top priority? Um, wow, I don't want to be president
2: <laughs> at all. And I don't think I'm allowed to be president. I wasn't born in America. Um, Anything
1: is possible. It's true.
2: <laughs> I mean, Arnold almost became president, so that'd be cool. Uh, I mean, I'm really big into uh, you know, educating youth about entrepreneurship, not because I want more entrepreneurs, but I really feel in a world of autonomous vehicles and people not knowing what their job is going to be because robots are going to take everything and all that stuff, the most important thing that we have is our decision-making. And I really feel that school does not teach decision-making. I think it teaches you, uh, like, formulas, and it teaches you things to remember, but it doesn't teach you how to navigate pros, cons, and how to deal with consequences of what you do. And I think that can only be done by doing things, which is the essence of entrepreneurship. Um, so I just think that our school system needs a little bit of updating. All
1: right. Thank you so much, Slava. Let's give him a big round of applause.
0: That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life.